third album, Tumor Brass, from Parsons to Stooley. This is Stan Graff's audio. I'm recording this introduction by way of my phone through Skype to the recording software that I use for Fangraphs Audio. Why? Because the microphone that I typically use was broken on a flight back from Phoenix. However, in Phoenix, that microphone was not broken, and I used it uh, to record the following conversation, which features lead prospect analyst Kyla McDaniel and other prospect analysts from Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen, recorded it outside at the house that the Fangraphs staff rented uh, over the past long weekend. And I recorded after we had just attended a game between the Arizona State Sun Devils and Long Beach State Dirtbags, Long Beach State Dirtbags, a game which featured, among others, ASU left-handed junior, draft-eligible junior, Brett Lillick. A lot of people in attendance to see that. Uh, the, the conversation that follows is, uh, is something that um, some readers have requested of Kyle McDaniel, sort of thing that they'd like to hear from him. And it's, uh, it has a lot to do, in fact, with the logistics of going to scout a game. We start with some very simple considerations. For example, how early you might show up to a game. Uh, at what time batting practice starts, what to look for during fielding drills, when to get video of the pitcher's open side, and the appropriate amount of sangria to consume after the game is over. All that here is also some conversation about some of the players specifically that appeared in that game. For example, that same uh, left-handed starter for ASU, Lilic, RJ Ibarra, a sort of stout, powerful hitter. Where, where someone like that might go in the draft, we will discuss some of the practical matters of, of uh, trying to watch prep prospects or perhaps not at the very top of the uh, the prospect list. Uh, there's much more than that, but uh, what you have here uh, certainly is Kyle McDaniel and Eric Longenhagen in conversation outside on Fairgrass Audio, the whole thing of which, the entire episode of which, begins right now. difficulty and or current not difficulty but well no I would say I would say that's an accurate descriptor right so so what the way in terms of identifying uh, in terms of identifying amateur prep talent <coughs> one way to do it is by way of showcases mm. right yeah, for the high school guys yeah this high school or showcases would only be for high school guys right yeah. and so and those uh, those are most popular most ubiquitous in California California and sort of Florida, Georgia, and the that's usually where they're held. Like Perfect Game is sort of the big company that does them because you can do them whenever then. Yeah, you, you can do them year round. You have a short. And how, how many will they typically have? Because I mean, you, you went well, to one have, a couple yeah, months a big ago, one right? Called the Perfect Game National, which is like a couple days after the draft every year, and uh-huh. it'll be I think it's like three hundred players, and it's like of the known high school players at that point in the year. Like usually, I'll make a list of the guys that I know about because you'll run into underclassmen throughout the year. Uh-huh. It'll be like ninety percent of like you know of the like hundred guys you know about or seventy guys you know it's like ninety percent will be at that thing, and then throughout the summer those other ten percent will kind of pop up, and then other guys you didn't hadn't heard of or maybe only the you know sort of the area scouts that really know their area, those guys will pop up at other events throughout the year, and then kind of by the uh, by Jupiter in October, so going from basically June to October. Uh, well, really, just going June through the summer, and then there'll be a break as they go back to school. And then in October, there's Jupiter, like the big tournament where all the travel teams show up. Even at that one every year, there's another four or five guys that either weren't guys or weren't playing baseball or whatever that they'll pop up. And then obviously, once you get into the season, then there'll be even more guys. 
there'll be even more guys that, you know, maybe didn't play a lot of baseball or there was a guy last year, Nick Wells in Virginia, went the third round to the Blue Jays that was, I think, topped out at 88 and he was tall lefty and mostly like a low to mid 80s. And then all of a sudden he's sitting at 90 at the beginning of the year. And so then, you know, he was a guy that popped up. Right. And there'll be very few guys that sort of are almost completely unknown on sort of a national or regional basis at the beginning of the spring that become like legitimate draft guys. But there's a lot of guys that'll become, you know, like go from fringe Division One guys to really strong Division One guys. That, that's usually sort of the progress you see. Okay. Um, and where, where does the where does the Perfect Game 300? Uh, it's called Perfect Game National. National. Uh, they had it in Fort Myers this past year. I think they have it again next year. Uh, and then they'll have Tournament of Stars, which is run by it's to basically pick Junior Team USA, and it's right after that at the complex in Cary. And then uh, right around draft time, you have the workouts, uh, the regional workouts for East Coast Pro and area codes. And so you have East Coast Pro is up in Syracuse in late July, early August. And then right when that ends, area codes is out uh, west in Long Beach. And that's sort of geared more toward West Coast kids, but they have teams for the south, southeast and northeast. So you end up getting pretty good sort of national coverage. Right. Uh, and then you, after that, you have the Perfect Game All-American Game in San Diego, which you go straight from area codes down there. And uh, and you also have the Under Armour All American Game in Chicago, and then in October you have Jupiter, which is just games and like travel teams in a tournament. So you get to see them sort of get game at bats against good pitching. So who 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 identifies who who is responsible for inviting players or not to these events? Uh, for Perfect Game, they invite the players, but it's with consultation with like college coaches and travel teams and high school teams, like kind of letting you know because these guys haven't been typically scouts aren't scouting them until. The draft is over, so basically they start at Perfect Game National. They get a follow list. They'll have a few names before that, right. and so and then once these guys get seen at these early events, that kind of dictates who goes to the later events. Like area codes will have workouts either some before and some after the national, and then uh, guys will get added late. Like that, like the guys popped up at East Coast Pro, and then got invited to area codes like days later because they got seen there, and someone's like, oh, "That guy's really good. Let's get him invited." He shows up. And the same thing happens with these All-American games, the ones that are, you know, on TV in the big league parks. Is some guy will pop up at area codes. The All-American game is, you know, five days later, and he'll get a late invite as an extra guy. So now it's sort of discovery the entire summer. With regard to the East Coast Pro, you said that happens in Syracuse. So yeah. Does it have a focus on Northeastern players typically? Yeah, it's sort of east of the Mississippi. And there's, like, sort of basically each, uh, region, each area for an area scout. So you have, you know, like Florida, Georgia, and then... Alabama, Mississippi, and then like Tennessee, Kentucky, they each have their own sort of regional workouts. And that's typically like the discovery process for Northeastern uh, high school kids because since they play so little, a lot of them are multi-sport guys, they don't play a lot of baseball, it's cold. When you can give them a reason to all get into one place uh, and in sort of an off-season in the summer, it's a lot of times the first place a lot of these kids have actually been seen. And so usually the Northeast team for uh, the Northeast tryout for East Coast Pro and then for Area Codes is where you sort of discover all these guys. Whereas in Florida, you've kind of known these guys' names for years. Um, and so, uh, while I was thinking about that, do you find more pop-ups at an event like, uh, like the East Coast Pro because, because of the cold weather situation? Yeah, you'll still have guys that pop up in the, uh, in the warm weather states, but it's like the Northeast names for guys that were at area codes, like mm-hmm. scouts that aren't like like the Northeast area scout, they wouldn't even sort of know half the names going into the summer of the guys that at the end of the summer are sort of the Northeast names to watch. All right, well, well, the reason we started talking about this is because Eric. Uh, is uh, uh, scouting players in this region here in, mm-hmm. in the Phoenix area, and I guess I mean you're willing to go all of Ari- through all of Arizona, pretty much, yeah? yeah, yeah. And so one of the challenges you've had is uh, while it's easier for you to get information about college players, um, 
identifying the sort of worthwhile amateurs is a, or sorry, worthwhile prep amateurs is a is a, a different um, is a different challenge. Yeah, we've. Uh I've only lived out here it's been almost 10 months now, and so uh, my network of scout contacts isn't as developed as it was in the Northeast. Yeah. And uh, the names aren't, are more copious out here than they were in the Northeast. So in the Northeast, high school guys, you know, there were maybe four or five within driving distance of where I lived in eastern Pennsylvania that you everyone knew who they were and everyone would go see them. Here, there are, you know, half a dozen guys just in the valley alone that are of uh, utmost interest to, you know, organizations and uh, probably equally as many down in Tucson. And then it's a six-hour drive west to Southern California and San Clemente. And so there's a... The difficulty out here has been to have scouts trust me enough to give me those names. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of them... This this isn't a direct quote, but it's... uh, they They don't want you to write about someone they think might just be their covetous little secret. Right. Uh, and they don't want you to raise anyone's profile to the point where they're going to ask for more money than that team might be willing to spend on that particular uh-huh. player. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a game, and I don't know that my maybe Fangraph's uh, profile on the whole is is at a point now where we move the needle, but but certainly mine isn't. So it's been sort of I'm at a place where I'm not big enough to get those names, right. but people think I'm big enough to co- have an impact on yeah. those names. <laughs> so well, but what you're talking about is essentially like. Uh, I know that with Kylie we've discussed the uh, building up your scouting library in the sense that like you've seen however many thousands of swings or how many thousands of uh, deliveries if it's a pitcher uh, or you've seen however many thousands of examples of raw power and so anytime you see a new player you have a, you have that library of information on which to build. You're, this is a different sort of library right where you're essentially uh, <clears throat> you're attempting to to become part of the uh, information chain, I yeah. guess, as it were, right, where you're able to figure out what's going on. And then, and a unique problem you, you have to settle on is uh, just it's, it's like it would appear to be simple and uh, and it's very logistically oriented, but just knowing when, even if you know a prep player, knowing when he's going to pitch, you know, of a prep player. Right, yeah, uh, that, that's a – it's very easy to pick up a phone mm-hmm. and call an athletic director, which is really anything all there was – in the Northeast, when you're trying to find a high school kid, is call the athletic director or try to get a line in on the coach and hope that they respond to you and tell you when player XYZ is pitching. Another thing that I've done in the past is just tweeted kids and say, hey, when are you throwing next? <laughs> yeah, scouts will tell me, if you don't know what day he's pitching, check his Twitter, I'll probably tell you. Yeah, be like, oh, get ready to start tomorrow, listen into my, I don't know, name of some modern music that Kylie listens to. Drake, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes they'll get scratched and it'll be on their Twitter account before the scouts yeah. get notified. So they're, all the scouts follow all the kids. And also for, like, makeup stuff, too. It ends up being pretty useful. That was also a a very serious challenge, just starting scouting things in the Northeast back when I really started to do amateur stuff seriously was the weather. Just wreaks havoc on on the schedule. Hours before a scheduled first pitch, you could be in your car and learn that a game was bumped because of weather or because a field hadn't dried yet because it rained two days ago and there's not proper drainage at that facility. Yeah. Well, so, for example, if I have an interest... Um, and we're gonna we're gonna t- talk. We went to the uh, the Arizona State um, Long Long Beach State game earlier today. We'll get to some of the procedural stuff with that. Uh, but so, for example, if I wanted to, I have an interest um, in going to uh, watch some um, lo- uh, smaller college and, and high school games in the New England region this year. Uh, what is like what is like the basic calendar of doing that in the Northeast? What does that look like? I mean, if you sort of reach back to your experience with Pennsylvania. 
Well, the Northeast does a lot of Saturday and Sunday doubleheaders. Okay. Because it's too cold at night early in the spring to have Friday night games. So you'll see the Ivy League teams go to each other's fields for a doubleheader on Saturday starting at noon. And then they'll go to a different Ivy League school on Sunday for a doubleheader starting at noon. Really? Yeah. Um, or uh, there's a lot of little tournaments like in Philly. A, a team or two will come in and play a game against St. Joe's, a game, a game against Villanova, a game against LaSalle, and you'll have a little round-robin stuff that's not as official and big as, as tournaments out here. Also, all the games in the Northeast are free. <laughs> There's not the baseball teams, college teams don't charge admission a whole lot of the time in the Northeast because the market's just not as demanding there. It's just people don't want to go see cold-weather college baseball. Uh, so typically it's uh, it's checking schedules. It's finding out how far you can drive and how fast you can drive there and trying to fit as much as you I can. I would go to the speed limit. Eric. <laughs> so, yeah, that's all we can recommend here legally. Yeah, yeah. As and a then, citizen, I would go. And then do what you can to get down to one of the bigger schools that's, you know, just south of the Mason-Dixon line, like like UVA or Maryland. Well, I'm near I'm near Boston College. I know, yeah, that's all, yeah, also true. Those are ACC teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, we discussed this in the car. But did, you, did you look at their schedule? No, I didn't. When did I, when would I have looked at the schedule? <laughs> any time, the any time you were driving and uh, you, you were... You were in the passenger seat. I was with you the whole time. I was, ta- I was talking. Well, you chauffeuring. You're being nice. You're being nice to drive. I don't know what you can add to about it now. We did kind of chauffeur Kylie around. We was That's fair. Yeah, That's I was true. in the back. It was a yeah. driving Miss Daisy situation. Yeah. Yeah. I would say going back to one of the things that Eric was saying earlier is the... Like, I think people are used to reading uh, enough times from, you know, whoever the writer is, whether it's ends up being accurate or not, that, oh, Scout told me this, Scout told me that, Scout told me this people don't realize, especially when you're starting out, and I was in Eric's position a couple years ago, like, scouts have no reason to tell you anything. They get no benefit from telling some random guy any piece of information. Really from telling any guy any piece of information. And so, like, I got to the point in Florida where guys would tell me, uh, like, oh, you, you went to game A, you couldn't go to game B, because I know you're putting in the time. I'll let you know at game B. This guy that normally throws 90 was throwing 94, so maybe get over there and see his other game. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, remember that guy you saw at the showcase? We were at the same showcase, and he was just okay. Well, he's pretty good now. You might want to go check him out. They'll kind of throw little things like that to me. Yeah. But it was, like, stuff I would have figured out eventually if I went to go see that guy play or I kind of, walk, you know, hang around enough. Uh, and then every guy would always say, if you have any questions about scheduling stuff, don't hesitate to text me. I don't mind telling you that stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like – some guys just didn't like telling me about players. There's certain guys that I still text that just we don't talk about players at all. Because that's kind of the way they like to do it, which right. I understand because, you know, their scouting director told them don't talk to the media about players. Right, I mean, it's <laughs> proprietary information, right? Yeah. I mean, just like, just like the like the sort of analytics that same organization might use, they're obviously not going to release that sort of information to the general public or be And they might thing. hint at, like, the level of information they have mm-hmm. to sort of as a way to, like, raise their profile. Much like a scout may be like, oh, well, I saw a guy yesterday, but you know, we'll tell you who, but he was pretty good. Yeah. But at the sort of, I guess, end of my time in Florida, I had been doing it for like three years, and I got to the point where I think what was happening is certain guys would tell me like, hey, this guy's like looks first round good. You thought he was third round. You wrote something about him being a third round guy. He's jumped up in the last few weeks. You need to go see him. And I think they would tell me that because they were curious what I would 
think and write about him. Like, I think I got to the point where they're like, we've seen you around, you know, we think your stuff's pretty decent. Yeah. I wonder what Kylie thinks about this, get an extra opinion in there, because maybe, maybe their cross-checker was, they thought was low on him. They want to see what, a, you know, a fresh set of eyes thinks. Right. And I think it got to that point where it was, eventually somebody's going to tell Kylie. So I might as well give him, you know, give it to him, and then he may owe me a little something. He'll, he'll toss me some, maybe he'll hear something about the signability, or that guy's agent will tell him something, because agents notoriously don't talk to area scouts, and so, Right. Sometimes they'll get sort of through the chain of command. Like, eventually you hang around long enough and you have something to offer them. But it's, Wait, al- so it's always from a point where they don't have to tell you anything, but you have to kind of give them a reason to. Agents don't talk to area scouts because... They aren't the ones making the decisions on the contracts. There's no reason to talk to them. No reason to talk to them. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about what we did today a little bit. We went to... Uh, we went to well, we're going to talk about uh, what, what we actually did... And then what we would have done if we were if we, we hadn't uh, skipped batting practice for brunch. Does that, does that sound professional? Don't worry, we paid for it, Appleman. Hey, we're actually doing this. This is, this is the scariest edition of the podcast because uh, Dark Overlord of Fangraphs, <laughs> David Appleman, is uh, looking over us with a uh, uh, quietly a, judging would be the with a moostral mustr- a brown ale uh, from from Missoula, Montana, where of which uh, town I was once a citizen. Yeah. You went to Missoula, Montana? Yeah, I went to, that's where I graduated from, with a BA. This is like the backstory of a Liam Neeson character. There's so much about me you don't know. Oh, yeah? Well, I will try to kill you if you try to kill my son. I, will, I would All do right. that. This, this storyline has been played <laughs> out. The, um, typically, you would arrive at the park. So, for a 12.30 start, when are we thinking? Uh, it's usually about 2.5. Yeah. yeah. 2.45 for the PBA start. Okay, so that would be a 10 a.m. situation? You're trying to get there? I believe I was told it was 10.05 for 10 today. 10.05, okay, yeah. So, you're typically trying to get there two and a half hours? Yeah, get, get, yeah, shoot for three hours to give yourself a little bit of a buffer. Some, sometimes, especially, like, scouts will get a ticket and be able to let in, but if you have a credential, they'll be like, oh, you're media. You don't need to be here until later. I'm like, no, no, I'm here for this thing specifically that's happening now yeah. that the public isn't here for. So, I always allow an extra 15 minutes to kind of sneak in if need be. Uh, now, now, with regard to that, you said you found out it was a 10.05. Who's the sort of person you call in that situation? Uh, you go to the sort of PR media person mm-hmm. for the colleges. Yeah. They'll, on the website, will say if it's for D1 schools, like it's the baseball guy, the volleyball yeah. guy, or whatever. Yeah. So email, the, email that guy, say, I need a credential, mention where you're from, and hey, who's starting this day? When the BP start? And then they respond and tell you, and tell you, you know, you got a credential, it's at this gate, or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, so typically, especially at, at sort of this point uh, in my career, you kind of figure out who it is you want to see at the game. Usually have some sort of background of, okay, these are the three guys I'm looking for. This is what I think they're like. There's three other guys that might be worth checking out. Maybe they have good numbers. Or I've heard, you know, they were a guy out of high school two years ago or some sort of background. Uh, I usually look at my phone for a roster because, like, the media area won't necessarily always be open yet. And then I just go either set up down the, you know, right-hand batters or left-hand batters side open side with the camera, watch a few rounds. Well, I guess you've done this process with me for the yeah. Arizona Folly a little yeah. bit. Watch the first few rounds, cause, especially because the video won't be great because they'll be kind of half swings or trying mm-hmm. to go opposite field or whatever. Notice sort of the broad characteristics of the swing. Write down some notes on the guys you want. Maybe notice some guys you didn't know. Maybe there's you know a transfer with the college that you didn't know about. And then for the later rounds, I'll usually just set the camera up on my knee to get the rounds where they're you know, swinging a little more full right. uh, effort. And then also, so I don't have to, like, focus on the camera, have it set up on my knee, and then actually be watching them and taking notes of those, you know, where the raw power is, if the swing looks a little bit different. Oh, this guy might have a hitch, see if his, you know, swing in the game is a little bit different. Uh, and, yeah, those are sort of just the sort of broad parameters. But I guess in general you're just trying to see what is the swing like, 
what kind of hitter is he like in BP and what's the raw power like and just sort of get the framework of what you're going to look for in the game. In terms of choosing a game, it seems like uh, the uh, obviously there are hitters that could be unimportant in any team, but the pitching matchup uh, might decide uh, a little bit more. Uh, that you're willing to choose again. like what what weight do you put on the the pitchers you're going to see and and then the batters you're going to see. Uh, I focus on the pitcher because I mean the hitters are going to be there not only the entire weekend but also the midweek games. Right. So if there's a team with just hitters, a lot of times I'll just shoot to get them on a Tuesday. Because uh, you know because you're not expecting because the midweek. pitchers aren't going to be good on midweek games. Yeah. Uh, those are going to be like the freshmen mostly. Uh, so yeah, if it's just hitters, you can usually wait until longer, and then usually you'll set up the games you want to go to based on the pitching, since obviously you only throw one time a week. So you want to get them when you can. And also, pitchers are very easy to scout. You, they do everything they need to do over and over and over again, whereas the hitter, you might need multiple games. So you might you know, catch them on a Friday when they're playing against a good pitcher, catch them on a Tuesday when they're pitch, you know, hitting against nobody, and kind of accumulate those days on sort of your you know, your extra days. But then you kind of go to a game because of the pitcher. And the game we went to today was went because of the pitcher, and there also happened to be a couple of good hitters there. So that's why we went. Whereas if it was just a pitcher and nobody else, maybe we wouldn't have even gone. Right. Is that, is that your basic idea, too, with regard to the pitchers? versus hitters? Yeah, you do what you can to be as efficient as possible. Right. And out here it's been a lot like a, a, a big jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. especially when we've had those tournaments out here where there are games going on within 10, 15 minutes of each other at different ballparks that you want to see guys from both teams or all four teams on. Uh, you'll go somewhere for four or five innings to see the starter on one team and then scoot over 20 minutes west to a different ballpark and to see some hitters and get some video and get a look at guys. Um, but yeah, I, you look at the pitching matchups first because those are the guys who are set in stone to throw when they're supposed to throw. And uh, any late changes to that can really put a damper on what you had intended to go do. Right. So, um, like today, like we didn't know Lilic was going to start today until early this week. Because so he's what? Cause, so we're talking about... Brett Lillick, junior lefty for Arizona State. Right. Yes. Who, coming into this year, was, what, probably on the sandwich round, second round radar? Yeah, somewhere that? around there. Like, yeah, lefty was sort of solid average stuff and feel, kind of a potential back-end starter. But right. those guys, when there's some sort of uh, certainty about it or a long track record, tend to go about second round or a little higher. Yeah, draft-wise, for this year's draft, Arizona State has uh, a lot of arms. Mm-hmm. And Lillick is probably the top... And Lilik was at the uh, Cape the Cape League this past summer a little bit, right? He yeah, I think he had five or six starts and then left with, I think it was a biceps thing. I'm not sure, yeah. but it was something sort of either directly arm or something related to his arm, like an oblique or something like that. But that's like a stamp of approval, typically, right, regarding a uh, a college player's prospectum. Yeah, but also. Uh, I mean, people would have known who he was if he didn't go there. Mm-hmm. I guess we didn't really say how you find college players. Typically, uh, they're guys out of high school. They perform at big schools. You see them, and then scouts are bearing down for sort of Team USA, Cape Cod League, Northwoods League, all the sort of good summer leagues. Right. You get your good list, and then you'll go to fall scout days, things like that, leading up to the spring. And then, obviously, by the spring, you hopefully you know all the names. Uh, Lilic was a performer that was sort of known out of high school that performed at a big program. If he didn't go, everybody would have known who he was. Like, I knew his name when he was a freshman and sophomore just because he was in the rotation at a big-time school. If you're going to Oregon State to see Conforto and you hang around when Arizona State's in town, you're going to see Lilic on Saturday and be like, oh, this guy's pretty good. Toss him on the follow list. Like, guys kind of ran into him. But for guys that maybe didn't, like I mentioned Hunter Renfro, I think, before, didn't even really play his freshman and sophomore years, blew up in a small college league, and then scouts kind of noticed him the fall before his junior year. That's sort of when you need 
the areas got to be on top of things. A little like like there's any West Coast cross checker knew during a sophomore would, year. You would accidentally. This, yeah, this yeah. is a guy. You kind of can't miss him. And, and what sort of day, uh, from from your experience, what are teams to to what the, to what degree of thoroughness are they scouting a player like Lilik last year who was not draft eligible? Who was not who was not draft eligible? Like I mean, what is it? Just a guy, like you say. It's just, just it's like a grouping. Okay. It's, it's like oh, this guy's got three average or so pitches that are sometimes a little bit better. Look at your area guy. Say, is this about what he's like? Yeah, he's about like that. Okay, so he is a you know a potential five that goes right. in the second round. He's a medium to high follow. Right. Like that's to the extent of what it's like, and only the area scout would probably have detailed enough notes to say, oh, sometimes the curveball is actually a fifty-five, or like the the cross checker wouldn't pay that close attention. Right. If you looked uh, around today. Uh, the, the starter opposite Lilick was Chris Matheson, who's a freshman, who's kind of interesting. He was, you know, upper 80s, touching 90, 91. Did he, did he get 92? Yeah, uh, not that high. He yeah, was sitting in the like, mid to upper 80s. With, yeah. a good, with a good breaking ball yep. for a freshman, but you, you looked around, no one was writing anything. Right. You know, not as intensely as they were for Lilick. Yeah, after five yeah. pitches, the guns were not yeah, out anymore. That was right. Yeah. And if he was 90-94 as a freshman, everybody would pay attention for an inning or two just to be like, all right, we've this categorized him as right. a group one follow, a group two follow, whatever your sort of system is. But right. they immediately w- were like, all right, this guy might be a senior sign. That's three years from now. We'll, right. we'll deal with that then. Right, right, right. right. So it's not as important. Now, the interesting thing about Lilic's start today, I think you you had mentioned his stuff a little bit as a you know as a sophomore follow with a, with a view towards a, a draft th- this June. Um, he did not, and this is the first time I've seen him, um, he was rarely, he was sometimes in the low 90s, but also threw a bunch of 85s. I mean, he was like 85 to 92 overall and probably sitting, what, high 90s or high 80s? Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. he was uh, at him 89, 92 the first couple innings and then 88 to 90 in sort of the middle innings and then maybe even a tick lower than that a yeah. little later. And Which he was pushed back because of the flu, and yeah. it's still kind of earlier in the season, so that's not like a move him down the board three rounds because he had a not great velocity day, but right. in a month he needs to not be doing that. Right, so that's the question I was going to ask is, is to what, what degree do you integrate that new information into the collection of information you have about him already? I mean, you sort of started to mention it right there, but at what point does, does a start like that begin to have negative consequences? Um, you know, I mean, how do you integrate that sort of information into your overall assessment of the guy? Well, I've seen every start he's made this year, and this was the worst he's looked. His first start of the year, he was 90-94 and, and didn't throw a, a pitch below, a fastball below 90, I don't think, uh, until he, from the stretch in, in like third or fourth inning or so. Um, as far as it goes, integrating it into, this is the most I've seen anyone. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a lot different for someone like me to look at a guy on my own and try to marry what I'm seeing now with what I saw a month ago and what I'll continue to see than it would be for someone who's actually making these decisions to get that information from multiple different people and then have to make their own decision. Uh, like Kylie said, Lilith gave up five he gave up five runs to Purdue last week. Purdue's bad. And um, I don't know anyone on their team. Yeah. yeah, they have they have a center fielder, Kyle Johnson, who's like a big long levered high strikeout guy, but um, He's maybe maybe a, a senior sign, but um, other than that, there's nothing there. But uh, and he had the flu, and so they pushed him to Sunday, and so those sort of weird variables have to factor in and maybe give a little bit of, of an excuse for why he didn't perform today the way he has before, the way people hoped when they come to see him today. Uh, but yeah, Kylie's right. In, in a month, 
if he's still trending in the direction that he's trended over the last you know thirty or so days, then we'll have an issue. Or even if he stays where he was today, right? And you and you mentioned the uh, well, Kyla, you said over the first month maybe it doesn't matter as much. But here's a case where you say was that his fifth start? Is that what you said? Fourth, fourth, fourth. I believe this is fourth start. Fourth start. Oklahoma where it's, there's State, already maybe a downward trend. Oklahoma but, State, TCU, um, Purdue, and and today. Right. But so there's. A, on the one hand, either it's a downward trend or maybe it's an asterisk because of the flu. And also, if you think of it like doing like a, a team prospect list for the minor leagues, mm-hmm. if a guy who's, you know, say like a Justin Nicolino is like a similar kind of guy, if he has a start where he shows that velocity, does someone move him down the team prospect list? It's like, oh, no, he had a bad start. Right. So, you, But if he has like, you know, four or five of those starts or the velocity goes down a tick every two or three starts, then it's a thing. Now, in the draft, because there's, you know – hundreds of slots in a row, you're like, oh, maybe he moved down three slots because of this, because it's mm-hmm. much more sensitive. In the scheme of things, this start won't mean anything. Right. But, yeah, like you were saying, like, it could be the beginning of a trend, so you, gotta, you need to be paying attention, right. so that if a cross-checker comes in and sees him for the first time this year, three starts from now, he's aware of that history, so that if he starts seeing, like, one inning, he throws 85-86, and then he's 90-91 the next inning, he, he knows the context to sort of report that back, whereas if he only saw that game and had no context, he'd be like, oh, he threw slower for an inning, oh well, <laughs> and then maybe, you know, may, and then say maybe, maybe he gets injured, you know, two months from now and be like, oh, did we see that coming? Do we see the signs? Do we think he'll come back? Like, that's why you kind of pay attention. And the same conversation with scouts where it, they're working for a team that can't draft the guy for whatever reason, either they're picking too high or too low or don't have the money. And they're like, yeah, but what if a year after he gets drafted, we trade for him? We need to know everything. And it's going to be tough to get makeup on a guy when he's in big in the, in the professional leagues right. already. So we need to get everything on him now. You can never sort of slow down. And so if you're a team like Oakland or Tampa that's, like, constantly trading players in and out, and, you, you know, if you're Oakland, you were scouting Franklin Barreto as an amateur, like, oh, the Blue Jays already have him. We can't get him. Right. Well, you might be trading for him two or three years from now. Or if Go and have that in-home visit. Make sure you like him personally because might, that might matter soon. If you're the Washington Nationals and you acquire uh, Trey Turner – just months after he's been drafted? Yeah. Then that's a... Then, I, I mean, I would assume... And they were in a spot where he wouldn't get to them, so that's actually a good example. Right, and so those scouting reports... Of course, Trey Turner was one of the players involved in the deal... Uh, what is he? Was he the Will Myers deal? Yeah, it was an extension of it. Yeah, okay, right. And he's and he's destined... Oh. Some frolicking birds. Uh, he's he's <laughs> destined... frolicking Dave Cameron in the distance. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> he's destined to go eventually to... Um, Washington to the Washington Nationals, but because of the law, the rules, he can't. He's not. He can't go to what? And um, I can say from the calendar year yeah. after yeah. the draft, he right. can't be traded. Which from, from when he signs, we've seen recent, twice now recently. Drew Pomeranz and the Ubaldo Jimenez trade had the same sort of. Thing. Yeah, I believe that's true. Do people um, know it was Pomeranz? Yeah. Who was the, who was yeah. the guy? The reporters are the worst. They get everything out there eventually. <laughs> um, and oh, and I was going to say from the front office perspective. If you're making a trade for a guy that is less than three years in pro ball, a lot of times you'll look through all your reports, and if you're seeing a guy in AAA and you're trading for him, you'll have you know reports from five straight years, sometimes multiple reports a year. If you're trading for a guy that's just finished his first year in low A, the amateur report might be the second or third most recent report. And so if you're trading for a guy that has that level of experience, the area scout is going to be one of your first calls. 
because not only is he going to have recent experience, he's going to know the guy's coach. If he's you know calling and he's homesick, he's going to hear about that sort of thing. Right. He has experience in the home, whereas the pro scout that just saw him may have seen him most recently, but you might have seen him during a you know bad streak. Doesn't know him personally. Doesn't have that sort of extra information that tells you do we want to round up on his skills or round down on his skills for the ultimate evaluation. So that's another example where you know like we we talked to a guy today from a team who wasn't picking until very late. Lilik may not be in the mix for the may or may not, but let's say Lilik was a first round guy. He's not in the mix for those for that team. Eventually, it'll get to the point where like, oh, Lilik's you know available to be traded to that team. Oh, well, this says here you saw him three times a year. Oh, I wasn't really paying attention all three times. Like you're gonna want to have some information to share with, right, the, right, with the GM. Right. So it's still important even to uh, perform due diligence, even if it's not necessarily that's that's not the draft year. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think especially with like I said, like if you work for a team like Oakland or Tampa that's making a lot of trades and adding prospects, right. it gives you a little more license to want to pay more attention because anybody could be somebody you could be involved in trading for. Right. Whereas if you're for a team, you know, say like the Yankees, like they're usually not trading for prospects that often. So maybe you're a little less empowered to do things like that. Uh, this might be a trivial note, uh, but you relayed to me, uh, Kylie, in the third inning, all the scouts get up. Which was the third and the fourth, but yeah, in general, it's the third. And where do they go? Uh, they go to the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. If it's a pregame Mexican meal. Uh, no, they. If it's a if the pitcher is the guy that you are there to scout primarily, uh, the first two innings, everyone stays put in their seat, watches watches the pitcher. You know, has their gun out, stopwatch the whole deal, and then by the time he is on the mound in the third inning. I would estimate 75% of the scouts yeah. are down the side to his open side. Mm-hmm. Either I'd say two-thirds of those guys would have a video camera out to get, you know, four or five pitches of uh, a video of sort of his the open side of his delivery. And they, I would say, what, 90% of the time stay there the entire inning, even though you may only need to stay there for five or yeah. ten pitches, uh, because that's what scouts do. Right. And there's obviously value for me for getting video from the side also seeing it from the side sometimes you'll see like oh a stride isn't as long as it looks from behind home there's different angles to things you always want to look you know from more than just one angle that said it's kind of funny and also kind of <laughs> stupid that everyone always goes at the exact same time although I've noticed now that more more and more people are going sometimes in the fourth inning sometimes in the fifth you kind of pick your spot but yeah it is overwhelmingly over half of the scouts get are up by the third inning walking around yeah and it's high school, it's college, uh, not in pro ball, but for amateur stuff it is. Now, uh, Eric, you, of course, uh, well, Kyle and I will be fleeing the desert. Mm-hmm. You, you're gonna stay here. Yeah. And, uh, what is the, what are the, um, what, what, are, what are your, what's your schedule coming up here? Do you have this, is this laminated? No. <laughs> it's just, it's just for protective covering. It's, it's got a protective covering, uh, if you wanna dry erase stuff onto it. Oh, okay. But, um. But you have no, yeah. I've got. I mean, do you want do you want the whole rundown or do you? Well, want I don't know. Just generally, we make it make it. The interesting rich and stuff, com- The rest of this. The rest of this month is interesting, amateur wise, because Oregon State is here, who I've seen several times already, because they were down here for tournament stuff in February, uh, and they're loaded with underclass kids for next year's draft and for the 2017 draft, and then Stanford is in here at the end of the month as well. And they've also got uh, a number of notable players. And then, obviously, I'm going to do as much spring stuff as I can. Right. Uh, so you get a lot. You're going to get a lot of Pac-12. Is one of is yeah, one of the, a lot of yeah. Pac-12, and then uh, Grand Canyon universities here as well. And th- there's like Loyola comes down and plays them, and they have a bunch of guys. And uh, Grand Canyon, of course, uh, we found the top alumnus of Grand Canyon. So Tim Salmon, Tim Salmon, I believe yeah. that's a good. That would be a good player. To I believe have. he's the best uh, Angels player to have a fish-related last name. Correct. 
Career-wise, yes. <laughs> Actually, maybe not anymore. I don't think I don't he is anymore. anymore. Yeah, he, is Trout's it's Ra- it's lefty Robert Fish, right? <laughs> I think Trout, uh, isn't Trout going to pass Griffey in uh, under 25 wins above replacement this year, probably, unless he has some sort of Yeah, it's going to be soon. Yeah. It's it's Griffey got hurt, and Trout doesn't get hurt. So last week when I ran the numbers, uh, uh, an Oregon State... Oregon State... Uh, KJ Harrison. Harrison, yeah, yeah. he he freshman. came up. Hawaii. He's a freshman. He's a freshman from Hawaii. From Hawaii. He KJ Harrison. Uh, he's listed as a catcher and a first baseman, and I've only maybe as an outfielder as well. I've only ever seen him play first base. He doesn't have that first base only body. He's not no. a, a hulking 6'5", 230 pound guy. He's got kind of a catcher body. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's kind of short. There's he's still got some room to fill out, and he's already got. Probably at least plus raw power and a swing, the swing path to um, facilitate tap, tap it. Yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some hand-eye coordination issues. He doesn't track consistently, especially breaking stuff. But uh, the the power is impressive. The con- the quality of contact he makes is impressive as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping to get a look at him catching because if he can, although I would assume based on I think. Uh, Oregon State's catcher is a senior right now, so it's possible that he's just blocked. So I'd like to see him catch, and if that if he can catch, then that's a top fifteen, top ten guy for when his his draft year comes along. Yeah, I was well, when I was running those numbers, and this is this is sort of uh, uh, a, a little uh, toy I use based off of uh, some work that Chris Mitchell's done at the site, mm-hmm. the Cato projections, where you attempt to just just trying to isolate and regress the things that. Um, are most indicative of future success. So that would be striker out rate, definitely um, isolated power, and then and then Babbitt. But that, of course, that takes a long time. So. Oh, and I could say I saw KJ Harrison during summer showcase season. So you did, I guess, a year and change ago, and saw him at Jupiter and like the bat, like the power. Since like he's got a little more power, since it's probably closer to fifty when I saw him. But obviously, these guys are getting bigger and stronger and all that. And I saw a 55 arm and looked like the tools were there to catch and was a decent catcher. And I thought he was – I didn't know what his number was at high school. I assumed it was high because I figured he would have signed because I, I would at least give him 500 grand. I figured a bunch of teams would have. So I assume he had a big number. And Oregon State, I noticed when I looked at my list of – I was like, oh, I've seen a lot of Oregon States running through my, my high school list mm-hmm. on the commit side. And they think they had like nine guys that were like in like sort of top five, six round kind of caliber guys – but they were all like in that fourth to sixth round area where if you want just a little bit of money, you probably don't sign. And they had a similar list the year before. And then I looked at the roster and it was like freshman and sophomore dominated, like really, really good players. So and this is probably going to be a pretty strong team this year and next year. Yeah, next year yeah. I think they'll be really good. No, yeah. I agree. Because they're really, I think even just the sheer number of just freshmen and sophomores yeah. to the whole team is like really high. So in like three years, they'll be in trouble when they just have like huge amounts of players Zero graduating. Players? Yeah, yeah. Even the bullpen is just a parade of sophomores and freshmen coming in and throwing. You know, ninety three, ninety five, mm-hmm. and with feel for breaking balls. Right. Yeah, it's it's impressive. Uh, we saw another player today for Arizona State um, whose name had popped up on this sort of thing, named R.J. Ibarra, mm-hmm. who is I think a senior at this point or junior. He's a junior. junior. He's a junior. He's sorry, junior. sorry. He's a junior. <laughs> he's a junior. You're right. He's a junior. Uh, he's listed as a catcher, but Eric, you've seen a bunch of their games already. You haven't seen him catch he's once. He's been DH only until today. what I've seen until today. That's what I heard on the Cape. Also, is I think he might have taken infield at catcher, but I don't think he ever actually caught. Right, and he played he played first base played today. First base today. Uh, let's say he's not particularly mobile. Um, I even I I ran the stopwatch after he made contact, and I think it was a four nine. 
which is a full three tenths off the scale. Off the scale, <laughs> yeah. right? He's, so he's a twenty runner, and what's funny about it is the scouts that were on him last year said that he's actually much more svelte than he was, than he was last, last year. year. Yeah, and you can see it; like he's not fat. Yeah, he's he's got you know a a muscular build for mm-hmm. you know. But he would a be five shopping foot, five foot nine guy. You'd say about five nine. Five He'd nine. be shopping in the husky section, though. <laughs> yeah, is that fair? Yeah, big boned. Yeah, but so so how do we know? So say this guy ends up being the best hitter in the pack. Uh, the Pac-12 this year, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, what, why? Well, the best. Do you mean statistically in college this sure, year? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. That's what he meant. That's okay. what I mean. Yeah. Um, what is the What is the thing that's happening between? I mean, maybe it's simple, but what's the thing that's happening between uh, college and low minors and high minors and the pros, where he could be a dominant college hitter or hitter, but be sort of rendered into nothing by the time he makes it to the majors. I think there's a difference between Ibarra as a case on his own, and he'll have certain things about him that are barriers to him having success in the high minors and in the majors. And then there's a whole different sort of question that you ask in more bro- you could ask in a more broad sense about players like this. For me, Ibarra's biggest issue is uh, plate coverage. I don't know if you haven't noticed how often they set up away from him yeah. today. It hasn't been the case all year. Right. Uh, and also, I, I, we were talking about this earlier, that Tracy Smith, Arizona State's head coach, platoons his guys quite often. And so his numbers so far are probably a little bit inflated uh, because of the platooning. Yeah, but he's hit it to a point now where you just can't platoon him anymore because he's just mashed so much. Right. Uh, the plate coverage, which now teams are starting to adjust to, and they would adjust to more in pro ball, especially at the upper levels when that becomes a thing, when you're not just focusing on development, but you're, you know, you're, that sort of thing starts to come into play more right. often. And then um, I also think the ball is probably carrying down here in the desert better than it is in other places around the country, right, which, right, right. you know, in context with the rest of the players that you're trying to measure might have him. Uh, there might not be, it might not be a level playing field quite yet, which right. also might be why Harrison is at the top of the list or, right. or a factor contributing to it. Right, okay. Uh, we are in a unique position where we have to clean. Because <laughs> we can hear other people cleaning. Are you starting to feel guilt? Yeah. I don't have to do this because I wasn't at the house all week. You didn't mess it so, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I do have to go clean my house, though. You should, yes, you do. You, you do. got your own mess to clean. Yeah, yeah, I, I, do. Do. I really do. The, um, <laughs> yeah, we've had a nice time at this house, uh, but we have uh, just having a, a bunch of young men together. Young men, not all young, but... Young at heart, I yeah. would say. They, uh, they want to be young. It's a bit on the messy side, and uh, even Appleman himself was cleaning, which is bad for all of us. <laughs> uh, so we, we'll stop this. Is there any, anything to add, anything of note? We no, I guess uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about the process in general because mm-hmm. some people had asked me about that, and yeah. I feel like we hit the process pretty well. I think so, I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how to grade a curveball over an audio format, but yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you, like, oh, well, this guy had you know plus this and plus that. But so some of the mechanics. And then he goes here. But I think, yeah, the idea of go to the ballpark, what do you do? Yeah. If you're just a random fan that has never done it before, what do you do? What are scouts doing? Why are they doing that? Right. The writing of the rapport and the sort of the comprehension and what happens in the draft room was like a whole separate deal, but I guess it's sort of related right. to it. And we occasionally, cover it later, closer to the draft. Occasionally, you'll skip batting practice to go out to brunch. Well, when it's a unique brunch situation where there's pork belly involved, you right. gotta, you gotta weigh the pro and the con. You were able to get some. And pork. there wasn't a first rounder at this game. Yeah, and no. uh, so not for this year. <laughs> so maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah, so there it is. There it is the side. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Kyla McDaniel, lead prospect analyst. I believe you pronounced that incorrectly. I did. <laughs> well, thank you, Kyla McDaniel, lead prospect analyst. There we go. All right, that'll uh, we'll sweeten that in post production. Uh, get some applause on there Eric, too. Eric uh, Longen Hagen. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Associate. Uh, I don't know what if I do. I have associate prospect. I, I almost. A title. I didn't want a title. They just gave me one. Yeah. So I, I, I guess you can pick yours too. I guess I'm shallower than you are, which is <laughs> saying something. Yeah. So, <laughs> my performance this week. Associate prospect analyst. I guess. Yeah, that's fine. Associate. You feel good with it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.